My guest this week is Isaac Borque, or as he's more commonly known under his artist name, Governor B. In addition to being a rapper, he's also an author, a broadcaster, and also makes appearances on television and in schools to discuss topics that affect young people from underprivileged communities. In our conversation, we spoke about how his upbringing in a Ghanaian household whilst living on a council estate in East London shaped his early days and feelings towards family. How he felt when he first found out that he was going to be a dad. What lockdown was like for him and his family. And also how his faith has shaped his views on life and fatherhood. I don't even think he realised he was doing it, but Isaac dropped so many little gems in our conversation and I love talking to him, and I'm sure you guys will enjoy listening too. So here it is, episode six of the Diary of a Dad podcast with Isaac Borque, AKA Governor B. So how are you, sir? Doing well, thank you. Um, my son's been at his grandma's for the last couple of days, so I'm enjoying the lions. Um, wow. Yeah, we're doing good, man. That is like the dream. <laughs> I've just been talking to my friend in Dubai, actually, and they've had the similar situation. Grandparents looking after the kids for a couple of days because their kids are on holiday. And I'm just like, I'm so, so jealous. So jealous. Yeah, it's good, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm on like morning duties because I'm, I'm better in the morning than my wife right. is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying this week. I'm not going to lie. Amazing. And is it the full week? Ezra's Most away. of the times, yeah. Um, nah, he's not away for the full week. He's only away for a couple of days, but I'll take it, man. Right. Any, anything you can get, any of those lines, it's, <laughs> it's always good to have. Well, it's amazing to have you on. I know that we've we've spoken online for ages. And I think when I first had the idea of the podcast, I think I was like messaging a few people and saying, oh, I'd love to have you on. So... I'm glad that it's it's finally happening after a long, long time of, of having these discussions. One of the first things that I like to do with my guests, because obviously we're going to talk about your fatherhood journey, but I'm always interested to understand how the early days and someone else's upbringing was actually affects, you know, their decisions further down the line, or if there is any correlation at, at, at all. So. Tell me, what was life like for a young Isaac Borque? <laughs> um, well, my parents came over to England from Ghana in their early 20s, had me and my younger brother. He's six years younger than me. We grew up in Custom House in East London on a council estate. And I guess the thing I loved about the estate was we were all different. So you got like first generation Brits from, you know, Africa, the Caribbean, all over Europe. Um, but then you've also got kind of working class English people. And it was almost like our differences connected us. And it was like a little family. Um, but yeah, real community vibe. And I loved growing up on the estate. Obviously living on the estate probably means that my parents weren't um, doing the best financially. Um, but yeah, they were just really, really hard workers. There was uh, a few seasons in my upbringing where my mum and my dad had a couple of jobs each at a time. And I don't know, man, it was just a really, really happy household. Um, their first jobs when they came over to England was in Harrods. They were cooks in Harrods. And obviously when you report back to the family in Ghana that 
that they're working in Harrods. They all think, <laughs> oh man, they made it. Like they're just they're friends with Mohammed Afayed or whoever was um, the owner at that time. Um, but yeah, just just real hard workers. And my upbringing was a happy one. Obviously, you have the effects of working class life and, and, and poverty. So yeah, a few of my friends lost their lives on the estate and my parents had to work really hard to provide for us. But I never actually realized how deep those effects were till I was older, because for all I knew, I get home from school and everyone's happy. Like I'm joyful. We've got food on the table, a bed to sleep in. But it wasn't till I was older that I realized, oh, it must have been really hard for them. Um, but yeah, they both instilled values of hard work, integrity, good character in me and my brother from from a very young age. And you mentioned your brother there. So are you the eldest or youngest? Yeah, I'm the I'm the eldest. Um there's only two of us. He's six years younger than me. Um I think that gap's interesting and it's probably made me think about the gap between my children. I've only got one at the moment, but me and my brother are six years. So obviously when he was first born I was really happy because I'm like, you know, the big guy in the house other than my dad, like he can look up to me. But I feel like the gap was too long for us to be like brethren, like friends growing up because yeah. like we wouldn't play football together, for example, because the age gap is just a bit too broad. Um, but it wasn't until he turned 18 and I was obviously 24 that we became like good friends, man, because we're both kind of making our way into adulthood. And, and yeah, man, we're, we're really close. Do you know, I feel like maybe the sweet spot for that is four years. So I've got mm. a sister who's four years younger than me. And I remember a lot about us growing up. And then I've got a 10-year age gap with my next sister. Oh, and wow. I don't remember a huge amount about her. And it's, it's I guess it's just where you are in, in that point in your life. You know, by the time your brother was five, you were probably going off to secondary school. Yeah. And your days get filled up with all of that sort of time so that your memories of him being you know a younger back home it's yeah they're, they're, they're very few and far between I guess um, yeah and it sounds though as though you know between the the families though that you you know as you say mom and dad were, were just doing everything that they could to to look after you guys and did you have sort of lots of other family around or were you quite a sort of tight knit family um, we did have lots of people that I called family. I had this discussion with my wife when we first got together because she's English and everyone that she calls her cousin is actually her cousin. And everyone right. she calls her like, auntie and uncle <laughs> is actually her auntie and uncle. But with me, all the people that my mum and dad called friends that came over to England from Ghana around the same time became family because obviously right. they had left their family. And so I grew up with loads of aunties and uncles and cousins and didn't really think anything of it. It was it was amazing. And it wasn't until, you know, like 14, 15, 16 that people asked me, so how are you related to that cousin? And I'm like, um, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I consider them all family, man. So it was a great kind of community family vibe and lots of people at house parties and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think when you've got that community feel and, and lots of family, whether it is, you know, blood relatives or, you know, as you said, in, in, in this situation, I think it does have some effect on the way in which you view family. I mean, do you, do you feel that mm. that was sort of like your early introductions into what family life and extended family was going to be? 
Yeah, definitely, man. And because there was a lot of us, I probably grew up calling between 15 to 20 people, my cousins, you know, several aunties and uncles. Whenever there was a gathering, so like a birthday or a Christmas, for me, it was amazing because it was just like a party every single time. So many people, so much in common. And it just felt that even though you might be in situations or environments where you feel different because you're a first generation Brit or, you know, your parents have an accent and you're not completely accepted. It's fine because you have your community where you feel completely at home. So for me, that's where I found a lot of my my security and pride in, in who I am, who my parents are and, and everything that goes into that. Amazing. And did you, from that age, ever think ahead to your own family? Because I, I always find when I ask this question, there's very, I, I remember asking it to <laughs> one guy and he was like, no teenager would ever be thinking about, you know, having a family or, you know, yeah, having their own kids one day. And then other people have said, no, definitely. I was always, you know, sort of thinking because that's what they were, were surrounded by. So what was that like for you? Um, that's a great question. I'm not really an intentional kind of person. Well, I haven't historically been until I reached 30 um, a couple of years ago. So when I was growing up in a, as a teenager and stuff, I probably had like a fantastical view of family through mm. what I watched on TV. So I would look right. at the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and think, rah, like Uncle Phil is sick, man. I want to be a dad <laughs> like that. Do you know what I'm saying? And I want to have a big house and bear people passing through and that kind of stuff. Or my wife and kids or one-on-one or whatever it was, basically yeah. anything on Nickelodeon or, or Trouble TV that was kind of like black entertainment that represented family in a good way. I kind of missed, I'm a bit too young for that, the Desmonds and that kind of stuff. And I've spoken to a few people that, that grew up on that. But yeah, I thought about family in like that kind of fantastical sense, but it was probably very surface level. Yeah. I'd say a lot of people probably do fall into that, that situation. I think sometimes when you've got people that have got a, what I call the typical family, which is mum and dad, they're growing up and, you know, that's, that's what you're used to. I suppose there's just that natural feeling that one day that's going to happen. But mm. I suppose when you're young, that might seem ages and ages away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, before nah, you... For sure, man. 100%. I remember thinking about uh, when I'm 21, when I'm 25, when I'm 30, and feeling like that's so... They're like they're, <laughs> those ages are so old. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But then you get to those ages and you think, flip, man. Like, I'm a few <laughs> years off <laughs> where I thought I would be at this point. <laughs> exactly it's um it's it's crazy when when you sort of reflect on that so then let's fast forward then so you you're obviously now a dad and we can get into the the, the meat of of that conversation but how did you and emma meet we met through a mutual friend. I used to perform at this kind of youth festival um, a couple of years at a time. So I'd do it every couple of years. And the guy that ran the venue, me and him became quite good friends. He's called Ben Lindsay. He's a DJ. Um, I grew up in East London, but he lived in South London um, in Brockley. And we just got on really well. And every year I'd go, he'd be like, oh, you got a girl? Like, and I'd be like, nah, <laughs> man. Like, obviously had a few, it's not worked out. And he was like, oh, I've got a girl that I think you'd really like, but she's from South London. And at the point I was like, nah, only East London girls. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, 
but he showed me a picture and I was like, oh, she's decent to be fair. Um, so he gave me a number, I think it was. And normally I, I like to think I'm cool, calm and collected, but I called her by accident. I'll never forget this. I was at Hackney Weekend, which was like this festival they had back in the day. Amazing festival, by the way. It, it was sick, man. It was sick. I don't know. They need to bring it back. It was wicked. And I was watching Rihanna and then I got a call on my phone. No, I got a text saying, who's this? And it was Emma. And I realized that I had called her by accident. So now it just makes me look like a bit of a, a mug. So that's how we, we started the conversation. And it went from there, really. She didn't catch you screaming to Rihanna, did she? On the, on the call. No, no, no. Hopefully not, man. Hopefully not. I remember that set because that was when uh, Rihanna came out. This was 2012. Rihanna came out, yeah. but she brought Jay Z out as a special yeah. guest. Yeah, and I remember nice. that that place just went absolutely, absolutely crazy. Yeah, we, we need to we need to start a petition for. Uh, I think was it one extra that maybe people were behind. They were like Hackney a weekend big partner. On? But yeah. I don't know who were the, the main people responsible for putting it on. But hopefully I didn't call it when Jay-Z came out because I definitely would have been screaming probably. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember, so this was probably the, one of the first times that I'd seen Jay-Z. And you know the whole thing where everyone like throws their hands up in the air. Yeah. I'm just doing that. And like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know what, what it was about. I just looked around and saw everyone else doing it. I was, I was fully involved with that. One of, uh, one of my amazing um, festival experiences and memories. Okay, so you, you accidentally call her. That's now started the ball rolling. Um, and then what was what was the early days of the relationship like? So we text each other for a month. And, you know, I liked her vibe. But I can't remember what was happening in life at the time. But I wasn't really super proactive about seeing her. Um, not in a rude way, but I was just like, oh, I like talking to this person, but life's happening. Um, I'm sure we'll see each other at some point. And at the end of the month, she just texts me saying, basically, this is kind of long. Are you going to ask me out or not? So I thought, <laughs> oh, better go out. So we went to, I think it was Vapiano's in London Bridge. And yeah, we just hit it off straight away. Had a lot in common. Um, she loves youth work. I was doing a lot of youth work at the time. Found her like a quite a positive individual. Dropped her home that night. And yeah, we just kept hanging out. Went out for... Um, two and a half years and then I proposed and and we got married man and then the joys of marriage and the struggles um <laughs> came man um but yeah but we got through it pretty happily and yeah man the rest is history as they say amazing did you in those early conversations or you know throughout that early part of the relationship were there conversations about what you wanted family wise and were you both on the same page in relation to sort of starting a family one day? Yeah, definitely. I think through some of the mentoring and youth work that I was doing, I saw how detrimental it was when young people, you know, didn't have, not even just like your normal mum, dad um, environment, but just like a healthy environment to grow up in. And mm. so I started thinking intentionally about family um, after those experiences and I thought ah oh, this is a girl that I can actually see building a family with is someone that I would be proud to call the mother of my kids is someone that I'd be happy to basically do life with and so I can't remember how early on we had that conversation but I think we both clearly wanted a family um, we both had slightly different upbringings but 
yeah, we just had this middle ground of wanting to create a healthy and safe environment for a young person to thrive in. Obviously, you have the kind of like <laughs> early relationship questions like, oh, how many kids do you want? Yeah, I want four and yeah, I want two and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> didn't really, you know, cement the finer details. But yeah, we both wanted families without a shadow of a doubt. I think it's from most people that I speak to, I think even the ones that do try and map it all out and go, yeah, we're going to have this many at this time and there's going to be this age gap or whatever. Mm. It very rarely works out, you know, exactly to plan anyway. Um, 100%. Bro, I remember, yeah, obviously growing up in school, 16, 17, 18, my boys um, having relationships and they're just getting their girls pregnant just like that. So I thought mm. if you just like have sex once and don't use protection, you'll, your girl will get pregnant. And then I grew up, like, got a bit older, started speaking to friends who were like, oh, we've been trying for a year, we've been trying for a couple. And it blew my mind. And I was like, I had mm. no idea that this is a huge struggle. You know, I've got families that have had that, that struggle. So, yeah, you're so right. As much as you map it out, obviously life happens, job situations, finances, and sometimes it's a struggle to, to conceive. And all of those things come into play. So I guess it's cool to have a loose plan. But, yeah, man, who knows what the future holds. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's really interesting that you were aware of or, you know, sort of, or, or were you aware, I guess, based on what you were just saying there about sort of in your early, your, you know, your late teens, thinking it's a, you know, fairly simple process. When it got to the stage of now you're in a relationship and, you know, you're then thinking about a family, did you have people around you that you could speak to about that? that you know were able to shed any insight or were you just figuring it out as you were going along uh no I had people around me I think that's the one benefit that I've really been blessed with and, and fortunate enough to have from a young age from going to youth clubs I've always had like youth leaders or mentors that have put their arm around me going to the local church there was always already always like positive influences and stuff like that um Ben who introduced me to Emma he had a family, kids and stuff. And yeah, right. there were just loads of people that I could gain wisdom from. And I really felt like I didn't have to guess and and go it alone. And obviously everyone's experiences are different, aren't they? But it was cool to get like the richness of, of everyone's experiences, put them together and, and make my own decisions from there. So talk to me about the time then when you find out that you're going to be a dad for the first time. <laughs> How was that moment? That was pretty mad. Um, it was early January, if I remember correctly. And we had some friends that we had some deep conversations with and they were struggling to conceive. And we thought to ourselves, Do you know what? Whenever we start trying, it might not happen straight away. And so this is a bit earlier than we both probably wanted to, but less like not try, but try at the same time, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. it happens, <laughs> then it is what it is. And then it happened pretty soon. And I remember immediately being overwhelmed with fear of like, man, I want this kid to come into an environment where we have the ability to help him thrive in all aspects of life. And immediately, I don't know if this is a guy thing, maybe some girls do it as well. I just started doing the maths. So I was like, if I save this much, by the time he's here, then we'll have this. And all right, cool. We're in a two bed flat right now. We're renting. We need to buy somewhere and all that kind of stuff. 
And we actually had a disagreement because she was like, you don't sound excited. And I was like, no, I'm gassed. But I need time to get to that point where I can be gassed without thinking about all the other stuff. Um, so yeah, it was a weird experience. I was happy, but then I was also, my mind was doing overtime, man, on the other stuff. Yeah, I think that there's so much around... And, and I think I see this a lot when there's when I see conversations happening online, for example, around parenthood. And there's all these ideal scenarios, people saying that they don't want to have kids until, like you said, they've got the well-paying job, the house, mm. you know, all of these things set up. And I think how many of us would have come into the world <laughs> if our parents had kind of just waited for like the, the perfect set of circumstances to to do that? Mm. Maybe that's just, you know, maybe in today's society and that maybe there's just a generation that probably feel that we're maybe a bit more privileged to to make those decisions mm. and, and to hold out. But you're right. I think at the point when you you find out or if, you know, as in your case where it's it's happened, maybe quicker than you thought it was going to then suddenly you've got to now adjust to this 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 mindset and whilst all of that's going on in your head I suppose you referred to it a little bit earlier but were you turning to all of these friends you know other guys that you knew who were dads and, and sort of talking to them about how you were feeling or did you keep that to yourself um no I spoke to people man and it was actually a great help and as much as our generation gets a lot of stick um, about, you know, how men deal with their emotions and the kind of conversations they should be happening, have, kind of conversations they should be having, I feel like I look at my, you know, my dad when he was alive and his friends, we've come a long way, man. And I was able to say to my boys, yo, bro, what if he's pregnant and I'm, I'm shook, I'm not going to lie. And mm. they'd say stuff like, bro, the number one ingredient you need is love everything will work itself out just like you were stressing about getting married just like you were stressing about having a girl having a job you just learn to do what needs to be done and it might not be you know like you were saying this ideal situation but your kid don't need that bro he just needs to be loved by his parents and for his parents to do the best that they can and that just really helped set me at, at ease you know um so yeah we had we had some good conversations i love that because i think I mean, it's one of the reasons I've started this particular podcast is because I'm just so intrigued, almost fascinated. Well, yeah, I'm fascinated by the topic of fatherhood anyway, but I'm just mm. equally fascinated by everyone's experience. Because as you say, I think we are sort of conditioned to believe that that's the type of conversations that guys wouldn't be having. And some mm. people weren't. I mean, I remember when I first found out that I was going to be a dad and I was the first in our friendship group. So I didn't feel like I had anyone to sort of turn to or, mm. you know, and I started like Googling things and just trying to find out, <laughs> you know, how, how things all happen <laughs> purely based on, on what I could find on the internet. But then it's mm. also refreshing to hear that there are examples like that where, you know, yeah, you're sitting down with your boys and you're having that conversation and everyone's giving their opinions and also interesting that people weren't scaring you off as well, because I think that's the other stereotypical thing that you hear from a, a dad side of things is, oh, you know, this big change is happening now. And, you know, they start freaking out and, you know, not wanting to step up to the plate and all of this. So, yeah, man, yeah. That's, just, that's really refreshing to hear. 
Nah, and obviously there's nuance to those conversations. So when you're speaking to the man them, it's not always like this counselling session. Sometimes it's banter, innit? But beneath that is like a love and a care. So like my boys might say, oh, bro, I hope you don't have a girl. No, you've done a lot of madness to girls in the past. All all those kind of jokes, (laughs) yeah. But deep down, it's like, bro, you'll be all right, man. Relax. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah, sometimes the you know, bravado, the conversation doesn't always have to be like heavy and deep. Sometimes the lighthearted and the jokes and just feeling like you're part of a team and you have a brotherhood, that's super helpful as well. Yeah, massive advocate for for all of that. And it's what I try now. If ever I find out that there's someone I know that has just found out that they're going to be a dad, it's like I love reaching out and just having those conversations (laughs) with them. Like, what's going on in your head now? How are you feeling about it? You know, just Mm. beyond the initial oh I'm excited I can't wait sort of thing or I'm terrified I don't know what's gonna what's gonna happen it's it's really interesting having those 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 conversations so what was the pregnancy like for you guys um it was actually really smooth man we were we were super blessed no morning sickness or anything like that I guess for me as a guy it was definitely a learning curve because my wife is someone that's very self-sufficient as am I and so kind of recalibrating my brain that her body is going through a madness right now. I need to be more caring. Um, that was really hard because I think sometimes as human beings, we care for people in the way that we like to be cared for. And the way I like to be cared for is just give me like a few hours, give me my space. I'll get my head together and I'll sort myself out and then I'll come back. But the way that she likes to be cared for is nah, be close to me give me a cuddle, tell me it's going to be all right and all this kind of stuff. And that was really hard because that's not, obviously I'm not like a flipping robot, but if I see someone going through a hard time, I immediately think, let me just give them space, sort themselves out. But that's not how everyone wants to deal with things. And so I'm not going to lie, man, I made my mistakes and I probably could have been there for her in the way that she wanted to in a better way. But I think that's marriage, man. Like you live and you learn, not even just marriage, but relationships in, in general. You have to learn how to be the partner that your your partner wants, you know. Um, but yeah, thankfully, the actual effects of the pregnancy in terms of morning sickness and, and all the things that come with it, she didn't have them too bad. And she got us on this hypnobirthing thing, which was quite educational for, for all of us, had a water birth. And yeah, thank God it went it went smoothly. That's great. That's great. I think what you've said there about relationships and just finding that balance is so, so key. Mm. Um, I, again, and it's also the, the difference as well. I think when, when you know people that have gone from, you know, just seeing someone to obviously, you know, getting engaged, getting married again, you, you sort of, I talk about the advice that you try to give. I don't like handing out advice because I just always think people have got to figure things out for themselves. <laughs> yeah. But there are little, little gems like what you've just said there that I think do need to be communicated to people in mm. relationships. And then certainly when, you know, when you're talking about pregnancies and, and, and parenthood, because you're right, whether it's just how that person wants to be cared for that alone then you add in hormones and, you know, this change in circumstances, change in situations. It can be a real hotbed for mm. for everything, really. I, I just, I think it can either go incredibly well where, you know, eventually everyone gets on board and they're on the same page 
or I can also understand how it goes completely pear-shaped, you know, during yeah. that time. Because if there's no communication, then, you know, how, how are things yeah. going to ever work? Communication is key and also wisdom to be able to communicate the right things at the right time. Because mm. my wife is kind of an external processor. You know, if I have an issue or I'm annoyed about something, she wants to know then and there. Um, but I'm more of like <laughs> an internal one. And so when you add in the hormones and stuff, I'm like, I know what she needs me to communicate if I'm like peed off about something, but I don't know if this is the right time for me to <laughs> <Right>. communicate. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want like this bitterness to fester in there to be a vibe in the house and all of that stuff you got to try and work <laughs> out. So I, I'm with you on the not giving the device thing because there's so many different nuances, but there's, yeah, a few little key things in terms of preferring the other person that are really helpful. Yeah. When Sophie messages me, like just be of an evening, she'll be putting the kids to bed and she'll just send me a text and be like, are you okay? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm not okay. Or, or <laughs> no, that she, she's got some sense. Obviously I've given off some vibe that I'm not okay. I sometimes think I'm playing it cool, but Same, clearly, I'm, <laughs> clearly I'm doing it so badly, but she's like, are you okay? And then it happened the other day when she asked me and I was like, I really don't, I was thinking, I don't want to get into this. So I'm just going to ignore the question. So I carried <laughs> on talking about it. And then she did that. She replied to the question with two question marks and was like, <laughs> we are, you know, let's talk sort of thing. And I guess it's even at this stage in our relationship, I just think, I mean, I love her for that anyway, that she would kind of drag it out of me. And sometimes mm. I'm like, look, let's not do it over WhatsApp. Once the kids are in bed, let's let's just sit down and, and have a conversation. And um, yeah, it, I think it's so important that that, that happens. For sure. So pregnancy's going fine. You guys are happy. You mentioned the hypnobirthing. I remember those sessions that we did <laughs> once. So that's, uh, it sounds like everything was kind of very tranquil and you got your water birth at the end. Do you remember that feeling when Ezra first entered the world? What was that like for you? Man, that was incredible. I'm not the best with emotion. Um, I rarely cry. Um, I feel like sometimes it'd be nice to cry more. But um, as soon as he came out, I was just overwhelmed with emotion, firstly. And also, like, I was in awe of Emma because the strength mm. and seeing her go through that and just doing it like an absolute G, uh, it just made me fall in love with her even more. And then all of that was kind of ruined by me looking at his head and it was mad long. And I was like, is his head all right? Like, cause it's looking a bit long here. <laughs> and they were like, nah, don't worry. He's just come out. It was like, <laughs> go back into shape or whatever. So I was like, all right, cool, 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 cool. Um, but yeah, the overwhelming emotion was just joy and love. It was, it was incredible, man. Yeah, there's a few things that I've spoken to dads <laughs> about and the topics of conversation that you're having in that delivery room, I think are so, so important. Again, probably the only other bit of advice I start handing out to people is, actually, no, I don't even hand that advice. I just <laughs> let them go through it and then find out what their their experience was. Um, there's so many things that you can just say in that moment or in those moments that either set the tone or mm. just completely ruin it. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, for sure. But um, he was here. He was helped. Did you guys know that you were having a boy before he was born? Or yeah, man, I still don't know how people do the surprise thing, man. Like I um, couldn't yeah. do that. I need to <laughs> prepare mentally. I genuinely wouldn't have minded if I had a boy or girl. 
Mm. I, I just need to know, man. And we're both like that. So we got the um, early on, we got the nurse at the hospital to write it in the in an envelope, and we went for a drink and then just opened it there. Nice. Yeah, I'm definitely all about knowing. We've actually been doing the. Um, I think for all of apart from Arlo the first. I think we did that harmony test that you can do that's sort oh, of like yeah, yeah. about 10 weeks so mm. we're going into like week 11 and we already know what we're we're gonna have and yeah just the excitement starts from there but yeah i take my hat off to anyone else that that finds out sophie's always sure. like maybe on the next one i'm like but we're at the so point how, now how many that, you got now uh, five now again, again, yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if there is well <laughs> when we when we had zaya sophie was like I think practically we're done. No, actually, she always says that she could have loads of kids. She loves being pregnant. She, mm. she absolutely loves it. And she said that she would have children all day long. But you do reach a point where practically yeah. it starts to just not work. And logistically as well. Um, so then, yeah, when Zaya was born, we were saying, this is probably it. And then I've noticed he's nearly four months now, and I've noticed that the com- the way that she phrases things in conversation now is slightly different. You know, there's <laughs> there's hints of, oh well, you know, if we were to have one more, um, and I'm thinking, the thing is, I'm not I'm not against it now. I, when he was born, for me, that was the moment where I was like, okay, you know, we've got five kids, they're fit, they're healthy, mm. but. Who knows what the who knows what the future will hold? Who knows, man? Who knows? <laughs> you mentioned interestingly when we were talking about the age gap between you and your brother. You were talking about how that's maybe had an impact on what you're thinking. So, how old is Renault? He's two and a half, just over two and a half now. Okay, so you've you've kind of ridden those early years, and what's your thinking now? What's your you know, what's your general feeling on, on growing the family? Yeah, man, I think we'd like to soon. Um, you mentioned four years. I reckon we probably wouldn't want a longer gap than four years, but mm. I had a bit of a wobble during the second year of the pandemic. And I don't know whether it was just being in my house a lot, but I started thinking about like Ezra's future and asking myself a lot of questions and trying to work it out. And those were questions from kind of like the trauma that my parents had and like the work they had to put in to survive. I have that in me, but the reality is that Ezra's going to be fine. Like, thankfully we're in a position where unless something drastic changes in our situation, he should be okay. So that kind of trauma inspired pressure to work hard I probably don't need to instill that in him as hard as my parents did in me and then you know there's like the conversation around class and how like I grew up working class but not in like a big-headed way that we still have to watch the pennies but if we really want to go on a holiday that we'll be able to do that or I can I can fill up a full tank of petrol for example without worrying and What's that going to look like for him? Is he going to be like working class? Is he middle class? Like it's all these questions. And then you've got like the, these mixed race, like, okay, the world might perceive him as black. And I've spoken to a few friends that the mixed race experience is slightly different. So they'll go to their white family's house and not feel white enough or their black family's house and not feel black enough. And I just want to make sure that Ezra's going to be okay. But I was like overthinking like mad. And then it kind of put me off having another baby until I answered some of those questions. But 
I think I've I've kind of got through that and realized that, you know, if we just love him and instill security in him, all those other things we can have conversations and make sure that he feels okay about it. But that shouldn't put me off, you know, expanding the family because I'm just being a guy that's overthinking. But yeah, I think I'm over my wobble and I'm ready. So yeah, we'll see what happens. You're ready when Emma is. That's that's brilliant. And I think talking about lockdown, because you know, with Ezra being two and a half, essentially the majority of his life, certainly that, you know, maybe the last year and a bit, I know everyone refers to sort of lockdown as lasting two years. It was, it was a bit up and down, but there was a, a good <laughs> chunk of time where, you know, things were very, very strange. So let, let's, let's call it the two years. He, he has spent a lot of his life in a unusual situation. You mentioned where you were at with your thoughts in terms of lockdown and, and what was happening there. But what was what was family life like during that time? Because I think the reason I'm, I'm asking that question is, obviously, for those that don't know, you're also a musician. Mm. And so I had lots of conversations with musicians during that time, you know, people that were at, usually out on tour and, you know, here, there and everywhere, very active, very busy. And then mm. suddenly everything slowed right, right down. So how was that sure. for you and the family adjusting to that sort of situation? It's definitely a weird time. Um, it's layered because on the one hand, I was worried about income and I was like, oh, this is actually really tough. So many bookings are getting cancelled and not doing the usual stuff I would be doing. So that's really hard. But that was kind of balanced out by seeing Ezra grow up. And I can't remember, there was a period where I'm like, rah, if life was normal and the world was normal a lot of this stuff I would have actually missed and I wonder if his relationship with me would be any different um thankfully we have a great relationship because I'm I'm just around all the time and so lockdown had obviously you know goes about saying a lot of negative effects on, on various people all over the world but the one positive I can take from it is that I didn't miss much of Ezra's first few years which is an amazing blessing and when I look at the work stuff I'm a workaholic I know you work in in the music industry as well so you can probably relate but when you love what you do it doesn't feel like work even like Emma will be to me she'll be like oh we haven't had a holiday and I'm like I've got like 20 stamps on my passport like I've been to loads of places she's like oh that's not a holiday you've just (laughs) landed gone to soundcheck done your show and come back and I'm like yeah so like if I never had to take a holiday or whatever I'd be fine um but the pandemic showed me that it's okay to like take a break. Like it's okay to not always be in the studio. Like it's okay to say no to that booking once in a while and spend time with your family. Cause I, n- I never regret spending time with my son or, or my wifey. It's always great, but I might regret taking that show uh, that takes me away from my family for a bit longer than I should be. So yeah, it taught me a lot, man. I think it was, like you said, the word crazy, it was a very, very crazy time, but personally, and I think just with our industry, I think what, what was it, what was good for me was that the whole industry was on the same, in the same situation, Mm. everything had leveled out for everybody. And that's Mm. the first time. I mean, I know that's, that's the same globally in lots of industries, but you know, in the, in the music industry in particular, it did feel as though, I think a lot of people for the first time in their lives, in their careers, Mm. had to put things on pause. And so 
for me, those early days of lockdown, like you said, you know, Sophie was pregnant with Otis during the first part of that first lockdown. And that was beautiful for us. You know, she was able to be at home, relaxing, didn't have to worry about going out and seeing anyone or, you know, obviously mm. we're this, thinking there's this scary virus that's going to get you as soon as you step out the door anyway. But, um, you know, that was, that was just a nice, a nice time. So it's good to hear that you have sort of positive memories of that. So yeah. now that things are kind of, I guess we're, we're now in a situation where things are heading back to normal and what's your sort of normal family setup situation? Like, are you around a lot? Are there periods of time where you're here, there and everywhere? You know, how, how have you been able to manage and balance, you know, life as a musician, you're an author, you're a broadcaster, yeah. you know, there's all of these facets to, to your character that we haven't even touched <laughs> on yet. Um, how do you balance it all? Um, the one thing I'd advise, you know, we say we're not giving advice, but I'm going against it. <laughs> if you got a missus, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, joint calendar will save it, man. Joint <laughs> calendar will save. So we just stick everything in a joint calendar. And obviously I said I'd do most of the mornings unless I have to, you know, be at somewhere really early. Um, so that's my thing. Um, Emma works a couple of days a week. Ezra's just started a little forest school that he loves. Um, and then Emma will take the bulk of the care during the day. I'll try and get back before bath and bed um, and do that. And then we kind of share that and work it out um, on a week by week basis. But ultimately, every week's different for me because I'm self-employed. I might be doing music one week in the studio, doing the live thing, whatever it is. So that joint calendar has really helped and to, to help us prepare in advance. Um, so yeah, man, we just... We just wing it, to be honest. And obviously there will be seasons and this will be the first test because this is the first summer in a couple of years that things are not back to normal, but getting there. And so, you know, for example, the first week in June, I've got like four dates and they're all over the place. So I might be away quite a lot. But yeah, I think we're just aware that there's seasons that I'll be super busy and the seasons where I'm not busy, I need to be around more and not make up the time but just show that, you know, I value what Emma does and I value the family and stuff like that. But yeah, everyone's different, but I, w I would recommend the joint calendar to everyone, man. Yeah, I think that's a couple of times now on this podcast that the joint calendar has, has been <laughs> mentioned. It's just, it, just life-saving. Um, I think it's, it's the only way that you can start to manage, manage these situations. And it's good, I suppose, like you said, with you being self-employed, that does then mean that I guess you are to an extent in control of, you know, the way in which you operate. And yeah, I, I mean, I know from, from knowing you, I know that you're very present, very active, and, and that must, you know, sort of really help that family dynamic. It's mm. I'm always really, again, intrigued by everyone's family setup. I was thinking about this podcast and I was like, remember the way I used to explain it was like the diary of a dad podcast and it wasn't just about me the diary of a dad I was like I want to look into everybody else's diary I want to yeah. understand I want to understand how you know a musician manages his diary alongside being a dad or you know how someone in business does it or you know mm. just because there are so many different scenarios and situations do you know what a game changer for me was in terms of my view towards that so i thought because i'm working more 
and the main breadwinner, whenever I have something that comes in, that takes priority because most of the week, Emma isn't working. And then I remember the first day I had Ezra, I think she went away for a night. So I had him for two days, morning to evening, both days. And bro, about 5 p.m., I was knackered, <laughs> yeah. And I thought, well, I've been viewing this all wrong. Like, she's not just chilling at yard, like, <laughs> relaxing, not working. That is a job, bro. And so when I started to view it as not just a financial thing, who's the main breadwinner, their work takes priority, but view it as like, this is 50-50. Like, we're both putting in the grind in different ways. Um, mm. Kind of helped us feel like we were both getting something out of this, you know? Yeah, I, I think, and again, I'm glad that these conversations are happening because I have this conversation on social media all the time. Um, sometimes I'll kind of stoke the conversation a little bit <laughs> um, just by asking people's opinions on, on stuff. And we were having a, a conversation with a, a previous guest where we were just talking about, you know, like even just simple things like dad's being involved in, you know, making bottles or changing nappies or, you know, all of these sorts of things, which I just think are the bare basics anyway. So I'm just like, I don't even know why that's a, a topic of conversation, but you're right. I think that once you realize how much goes on in a day to day, if you haven't been the dad that's around, mm. you know, to see a full day, I think the sooner that people come to that realization, the better. Uh, I feel yeah, like man. dads almost need to, exp and the problem is that I guess in a typical scenario, say a dad is on paternity leave, for example, he might get two weeks at home when the child's born. And <laughs> those two weeks of a newborn <laughs> are probably the worst example of what life at home is. Cause you think about yeah. it, all a newborn does is sleep and feed. So, and, and you probably like end up holding a baby for the, for huge chunks of the day. And so a dad has just got in his head that, oh, this is easy, man. You just sit <laughs> around me. and chill chill with the baby. <laughs> and then he, he trots off back to work and then forgets that as that child's growing, you know, that period is, it's a very short period in in the bigger scheme of things. 100%. And then you're just talking about one kid. When you get to like two, three, four, five, like I always think, bro, what happens when all your kids are kicking off at the same time? Like, what do you do? <laughs> You just look at each other and be like, what on earth were we thinking? It's, do you know, I think, and I, I mean, it doesn't happen that often, but, you know, don't get me wrong, my kids aren't angels. So there are just the, and it's, it's not even about, it's not even necessarily about being naughty as well. I think sometimes just that range of emotions, like we talk about, you know, people talk about the witching hour. I'm like, hour? I'm like, anything between 4 p.m. and 7 to me, I'll call it the witching hours because anything can go on in, in that time period. And I think it's just about, you just got to literally prioritize, you know, mm -hmm. what's the most important thing. So for us, we notice it the most at, say, around 6 o'clock. Esme, who's 4, she, that's her bed. She, she wants to go to bed at around six that's just part of her routine so quarter to six ten to six she is most likely to kick off about the tiniest thing you know yeah. hand her the wrong dinner plate or you know don't give her enough ketchup with her dinner she's likely to start 
making a fuss about that. Mm. You know, Arlo is probably going to be really tired because he's just done a full day at school and then he's done homework and now he's hungry and, you know, just that. So then it's, you know, already it's starting to build up and then Zaya wants feeding and Otis wants, it's, you know, it can be pretty chaotic in our house, to be honest, at times. But I just think I've just, and we've both talked about this, we're both at that stage now with, with parenthood where we just feel like, what is the most important thing? You know, and in that moment, you've just got to make those decisions. Mm. And don't get me wrong, sometimes I get into a flap. Sometimes Sophie gets into a flap. Sometimes we're snapping at each other because, you know, we just haven't picked up on all that. But then when you just strip it all the way back, yeah, I just always go, this moment in time, it, again, it's just so small in comparison to like the mm. whole day. So why would I let this tiny moment just like ruin? And especially when it's happening before bedtime, because the worst thing is that you have that horrible atmosphere then. The kids go to bed and you're still like <laughs> looking at each other like... <laughs> You know, know words, man. <laughs> we, we, so we just, we literally try to, we, we've got so good at it recently of mm. just any of that stuff. Once everyone's asleep and in bed, it's like, it's a brand new day. You know, that's our time. We, we kind of come yeah. together. Um, Sophie's going to be listening to this thinking you didn't do that <laughs> last week, <laughs> but it's, you know, and, and I always just say we, we've got no other option, you know, yeah, um, no. And that's, we, we have, we have help at home and, you know, we've got nannies and, and stuff like that. But even with that help, sometimes your kids just want you mm. and we yeah, experience sure. that. And, you know, we also, there, there are times that we obviously bring up our kids without help around. And so mm. you have to kind of deal with, you know, all of those things, um, as and when. So I hope nothing I ever say puts people off. It's, uh, oh, man. it's, it's, it's fascinating, all, man. It, it's all manageable. Like, um, yeah, it's good. It never puts me off, man. I like hearing from a range of experiences and also the whole like, um, you know, there's this notion that dads aren't present and I'm like, that's not my reality when I look at yeah. the people around me. And mm. obviously I knew what he did through music and stuff, but the actual thing that I'm like, oh, I like this guy is family. He seems like he cares about his family. And that's, that's mm. a sick thing to see for people coming up. And that's why I'm drawn to people like, like gigs and like Harry Pinero and those and gets because I'm like those are positive role models and, and we need more of that man yeah I 100% agree I think I was it was very sure when you talk about your reality as well I think that's the, the the interesting thing because my dad when we were growing up he was actually he was self-employed so he yeah. kind of was able to flex the way in which he worked which then meant that he was very very present so when mm. I started growing up and I started hearing about like absent fathers and, you know, things like that, that just didn't compute to me. Um, mm. And then I guess it was only further down the line that, you know, you start to realize how that can happen and then it, it yeah. is a reality for some. But, you know, on that that subject of, of parents and, and dads especially being being present, that's that's what I really want to amplify through these conversations because there are so many of us that's, mm. that are presence that are active in our children's lives mm. and also that you know we're trying to we, we we surround ourselves with others and also what i find very interesting is people calling out their friends who aren't good yeah. dads yeah, you know um you know i think that's happening a lot more and that, again that's that's a really positive thing to see mm. i know that 
for you, religion has been a constant feature in your life. You mentioned that in terms of, you know, sort of like your early upbringing with the church and, and things like that. Mm. And obviously has then sort of come through in, in your music. I can see it on the shelf behind you, your MOBO award. I remember that <laughs> first, uh, I remember seeing the nomination, I think for the first time that you, you won the, the, the mm. MOBO award. And again, that was in the, the gospel category. So again, like religion kind of been very, very important to you. Mm. Do you think that's had any effect on how you've chosen to, you know, be a father and, you know, any influences mm. there? Yeah, that's interesting. I think I don't view myself as a religious person in the sense of like, I will make my family or my son follow these specific rules. And if you follow these rules, that make that means you're a good person. Mm. I don't prescribe to that, but I like to view myself as a man of faith. And obviously growing up as a Christian has helped shape my worldview and find a lot of security in my life. Because, you know, working in the industry that we work in, and not even just through music, I think insecurity is such a massive part of of life. And okay, they didn't like this album or I'm not the cool rapper right now or I didn't win this award. Does that mean I have no value? And my faith has really helped me find security that like, even if other people don't see it, God's created me for a reason. And that's really important for me. So I think in terms of how we bring up Ezra, I'm a strong believer in in choice. My parents are strict Ghanaians, so there wasn't no choice for me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that probably had an influence. But I still got to like 14 and thought, I'm not going to church till I really believe this for myself or till I really feel like this is for me. And eventually I feel like it, it was. And that's why, you know, I choose to live my life as a man of faith. But with Ezra, I don't want him to look back and think I was forced into being this kind of person. I want him to live life. Obviously, I advise him and character because I think that's super important honesty integrity kindness those kind of things and we bring them along to church now because it's actually like a really good community environment of like just positive individuals family that kind of stuff um but yeah ultimately I love that it shapes my worldview but I'd like him to grow and make his own decision when it comes to that I think again I mean it's a really balanced view and a, a you know mm. I'd say maybe just a new age way of thinking, because as you say, I think growing up, that's, that's what it was for a lot of us was feeling that, mm. you know, there, there wasn't necessarily a choice. And as you say, there just comes that age where you go, okay, it either clicks for you and you're like, yeah, I'm prepared to follow this and I now believe it. Or you almost go the other way because you're trying to rebel against the, the whole situation. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's nice to hear that, you know, I guess that, religion can be involved but not in a, a harsh way which is often what i think people think of you know when they when, when they hear yeah. it talk to me then a little bit about your you wrote a book recently i was really interested and intrigued by that tell us a little bit about that yeah sure man um so my dad passed away in 2017 after a short battle with cancer and you know like i said i was the eldest child council estate culture and I immediately went into this zone of stiff upper lip you got to be strong for the family you know make sure mum's cool um and everyone knows what they're doing funeral arrangements and all that kind of stuff and so I didn't really deal with his death in the best way and I kind of thought ah oh, I want to be a real man like you know what I mean just like mm -hmm. nothing upsets me no weakness 
pure strength and that's how we're going to get through this and it basically ended in me kind of breaking down in tears at a tour date in in america and yeah i just broke down the day after the show in california and after i had cried i just felt this immense freedom that i hadn't felt in a long long time and started questioning why that was and i realized that you know when i'm vulnerable and i allow my mind and my body to do what it needs to do and just let my emotions out sometimes I can feel like really, really lighter um, after that. And so I started to kind of delve into the idea of what it takes to be a real man and, and masculinity. And I just wrote about my story, really, because if there's any guys out there that have had similar backgrounds to me, or even if they haven't, and they feel like they have to get through life by not showing any signs of weakness, that might not always be beneficial. But actually, it's really nice to do some of the things that we've spoken about in this conversation, you know, speak to your friends about what you're going through and your worries and, and your struggles and have a little cry every now and again, if you're the kind of person that, that cries. And, and even if you're not, just whatever way you want to be vulnerable and, and express yourself, that's absolutely fine. It doesn't make you any less of a man. So yeah, man, not everyone agrees with the term toxic masculinity, but it's more about redefining manhood, you know? Um, so yeah. Amazing. And yeah, I think, you know, it's really interesting to to have, I think there's there's so many books on, on so many topics, but I think when people kind of write about something that's from that experience, their own experience mm -hmm. of what they've been through, which, you know, terrible thing that you went through, and I'm really sorry to, to sort of hear about that. Mm -hmm. But then the positive that you're able to then put through, I think yeah, is, man. you know, again, really, really, really commendable. Thanks, bro. I feel like we could have talked for another hour about so many, <laughs> so many other the topics, but I just, I feel like, you know, that time that we've, we've spent together, I'm so grateful for you, you coming on because I think there's been some real, real gems in this conversation. And I think there's so much that people will you know, genuinely listening to this. I hope that they, you know, take away some, some really good points from that. But as all you right, know, thanks for having me, man. No worries at all. I like to round out the podcast with a couple of questions. So I'm going to ask you those very, very quickly. The first one is if you had to look back at your time as a father, as a series of diary entries, is there a moment or moments that, that stand out to you? Uh, definitely one which was at the end of August um, 2020, I believe it was. And I had a diary entry in my phone pop up and it was from a festival that I was meant to be playing that year that was paying me a lot of money. Um, and I just remember them emailing a few months back saying, obviously, because of the pandemic, it's cancelled. And I'm like, oh, fam, like... <laughs> I would have hit the belly <laughs> um, and I was pretty down that day. And then that's the day that my son started walking, Ezra started walking. And I just remember thinking, bro, like priceless, like I was here on the day he started walking. And if I was going to do the show, it would have meant that I was abroad, you know? And so, yeah, it just made me put life in perspective. Um, so yeah, that was a, started off as a bad day but ended up being quite a special day. What a moment, eh? What a moment. Glad you got to see it. And the second question, are there any, is there a date or any dates in the diary for this year that you're excited about? 
probably Christmas, I think, because we alternate. So last year we were at my wife's family's house, which mm-hmm. are amazing. This year at my family's house. And it's the first time in a few years we've obviously had everyone together. And um, obviously the first birthday or the first Christmas, your kids don't really know what's going on. Second Christmas, they're like, oh, there's presents. I like getting involved <laughs> here. And then after that second year is when Ezra started really communicating with me. I'm like, oh, this is like my boy. Like, And so I can actually explain to him now, Christmas is coming up. We're going to see the family, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think it'll be special because it will feel like his first one that he knows what's going on. You know what I mean? And it sounds as though with the the family and the extended family that you've got that we spoke yeah. about at the, at the beginning, I'm sure he's going to be in for an amazing day. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And, you know, obviously we'll let everyone know where they can find you, where they can find out a bit more about the book and listen to some of your music. Um, but no, it's, it's been really nice. I'm glad that we've kind of just got to have this conversation. Thank you for having me. Um, as I say, a long time admirer, not just in a work capacity, but in terms of what you choose to show. I know it's not always glamorous and glorious and there's tough times to go along with it, but whether you realize it or not, there's there's many people that are inspired and, and that look at you and think, ah, oh, regardless of my situation, man, I can have a family, man, and I can make it work and I can go out there and, and do stuff that fulfills me. So keep it up and I hope that we see loads more of these kind of podcasts and, and content um, coming out from various people. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm, yeah, very confident that, uh, that we will. 